Thank you, Patricia. Uh, this morning, uh, it looks like Emma and I are going to be playing a bit of a tag team. Uh, the sermon this morning is split up into three kind of chunks sandwiched between scripture readings and a bit of reflection in the middle. Uh, so Emma is going to come forward and read our first scripture reading, which is Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, as found in the message. A simple guide for behavior. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you? when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole travelling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbour. I don't want to seem close-minded or judgmental, but in good conscience, I simply cannot approve of the lifestyle. I personally believe that it's a choice, not something predestined or forced upon anyone by anyone. I understand that parental upbringing obviously um, and undoubtedly has a, is a big factor, and that some people believe that genes play a role in predisposing people to this lifestyle. But I also know that adults are responsible for their behaviors, and the behaviors associated with this lifestyle are no exception. On the one hand, I believe that we live in a free country, and people should be free to do what they think is right. But on the other hand, I believe that freedom has its limit, one limit being where others are hurt. And this lifestyle, there can be no mistake, is hurting a lot of people. Families are being torn apart by it, churches and denominations too. Everyone seems to have an opinion on this controversial lifestyle. But I believe that God's opinion is the one that matters most. And there is absolutely no question what God's opinion is according to the Bible. This lifestyle and the behaviors associated with it are thoroughly condemned, especially by Jesus. He was very compassionate towards many groups of people, but there is one group that he had an absolute and uncompromising commitment to confront and expose. And it was those who dishonor themselves and other humans made in the image of God by engaging in this lifestyle. When people choose this lifestyle... They often cut themselves off from everyone who doesn't agree with them. They end up being absorbed into closed communities where only their own voices are heard and everyone who disagrees with them are mocked and even condemned, often with very strong language. They often see their community as superior and become incapable of speaking respectfully to or of those who in good conscience they can't agree with. 
Activists may use the word love to justify their behavior, but those who disagree with them are seldom treated with love. Many of us who have already faced the scorn of activists who promote this chosen lifestyle and defend it as legitimate, for doing so we have received hate mail peppered with a wide range of threats and abusive speech, with many calling for our damnation. But even so, we have learned that we must not respond to hate with hate, but we must love these people and seek to help them, even though we do not approve of their behavior. And the behavior I hear you asking this morning is that of judgmentalism, the judgmental lifestyle. Emma is going to read our second reading. The way he wants you to live. And now, friends, we ask you to honour those leaders who work so hard for you, who've been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our council is that you warn the freeloaders to move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. I'm going to share a story of a 17-year-old that I was reading during the week. And it picks up on some of the themes that Steve had been speaking about before the summer, that sense of, do you belong first and then believe? Do you believe first and then belong? At 17 years old, I dropped out of high school to mix cocaine. It was just me, the drugs, and the triple beam balance scale, and my boss who sat facing the door with his 9am smirk. For six hours of work, I was paid $2,500 and was as high as a kite, uh, despite the mask I wore. The lifestyle uh, was fun in the 80s, but only for a while. In the midst of all this, my uncle called to tell me that my grandfather was in the final days of his battle with cancer. I traveled to Chicago, knowing this would be the last time that I would get to see this guiding force in my life. I had no words to comfort my grandfather, but instead I felt I was there to listen and to experience something which which would change the trajectory of my life forever. As we drank milkshakes together, the only food my grandfather could get down, he put his hand on my knee and began to weep. I attempted to console him. I realized uh, that he was probably weeping over not being well. But the longer I sat there, the more I realized that he was weeping over me. He was attempting to console me. It just took one look at me for my grandfather to see that I was living on a ragged edge. In his feel, frail voice, he repeated the only words he could say that day and the last words that he would ever say to me in his life. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for what's happened to you. 
My grandfather became a living expression of Jesus for me that day. He was the one suffering yet looked past his own pain and wept over the condition of my life. It would take years before I fully grasped the significance of that encounter. But I knew then that I had to make some changes in my life. One of these resulting changes occurred on Christmas Eve when I find myself in the sanctuary of a church for the first time in a long time. Still, I was convinced that church people would take one look at me and see I didn't belong and that I wouldn't meet their standards. My palms started to sweat as I thought I might have been wearing a name tag that read, Hello, my sins are drug dealing, smoking, drinking, swearing, and much worse. But instead, I was received with a deep movement of grace. I was warmly welcomed that Christmas, and soon after, I was embraced by two families that had known me when I was younger. For no reason apparent to me, they simply decided to make me part of their family. They knew the places that I'd been and the things I had done. I wasn't ready to talk about it yet, but they didn't judge They simply journeyed with me, loved me, and lived out their faith in front of me. And when I did open up about my past, they didn't say, we love you but hate your sin. They loved me without condition. As a result, they loved me into relationship with Jesus. They allowed me to belong well before I was ready to believe. This is what church was always meant to be. A church that loves unconditionally from the heart of her Savior. We are going to reflect a little uh, for a couple of minutes on uh, things in our lives that people may have labeled us at times. When you arrived at church this morning, you received a page uh, and there should be a pen in your pew. Uh, There's an outline of a label. And what we're going to do as we listen to the words of a song by Nathan Jess, God is Love, we're going to write down, now you can keep this to yourself, um, you don't have to let other people see it as you're writing, things that maybe people have called you in the past that has left a wound in your life. Okay? So something that someone has called you, and then we're going to bring them to the front, and we're going to pray for them, and then we're going to move on to our next reading. So I'm going to just hit play on the laptop here, and if you could use the pens and the paper to write that down, if you've got that. So Michael is going to play on the piano, and we're going to collect the sheets in. Feel free to throw your sheet into the collection plate, even if you didn't write something. This was supposed to be an opportunity just to reflect about the labels that others have called us, Uh, as we move on to think about labels that maybe we have used against other people. So I think if the offering team are around, uh, they're going to collect those in as Michael plays, and then I'll pray. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we realize that we live in a world that uses words day and daily. We realize that words have the power to help, but they also have the power to destroy. They can bring healing, they can bring hope, or they can bring destruction. 
Father, we lay these labels before you, labels that have been used against us as we've been growing up, maybe as we've been at work, maybe in our homes. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your healing for those wounds that maybe run deep beneath the surface of our lives, beneath the masks that we may be able to wear on a daily basis. Father, come and heal and cleanse. But we also ask for your forgiveness for times when we have labeled others. That person we have passed in the street, the character on the TV, the person in the shop. Father, forgive us. Help us to love unconditionally. Help us to love people into relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Emma is going to read our our final reading, and then we'll stand and sing when the music fades, and Jesus, all for Jesus. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Amen. This morning, um, the three mini-sermons, rather than a good 25-minute preach, have been something that I have been reflecting on for months now. Um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of months ago, I was reflecting on that slogan that I'm sure most of us who have grown up in Northern Ireland are all familiar with, which is, love the sinner, hate the sin. And then had been reading a bit of Tony Campalo, and he had suggested re- rejigging that phrase to, love the sinner, hate your own sin. And I suppose this thinking about judgmentalism then for me started whirling over in my mind. It seemed to be a theme that was coming back and back and back. So this morning I've tried to illustrate a little of that through the the modern parable at the start, um, the Nathan Jess thing about labels and the guy's experience of church in America. And for the remainder of our time, I just want to talk a little about that passage which Emma shared with us last, the Luke 6, 43 to 45. So bear with me. And let's journey through this passage together. Pinned to posts, stuck on placards, framed and hung on walls. John 3.16 I suppose we're all familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't forbid us making moral judgments, rather he condemned judgmentalism. Judgmentalism being the sin of putting oneself in the place of God. Judgmentalism assumes an air of self-righteousness and self-superiority, looking down one's nose at lesser people in squalor of their own feelings. One writer has described judgmentalism in this way. It is an habitual act or lifestyle of making uncritical, snap, 
judgments regarding issues, regardless of whether those judgments are accurate or not. Judgmentalism also tends to go further than a mere judgment on a particular issue to a judgment regarding a person or a whole group of people. This is done regardless of possible merits elsewhere within such groups or individuals. A judgmentalist is someone who is practicing judgmentalism. We all make judgments on a daily basis, but we must be aware of and avoid the sin of judgmentalism. We have to make objective decisions about what's right and what's wrong. We have to determine what is sinful and what is not. We have to wrestle with legalism and spiritual liberty. We have to determine what is permissible and what is not. But we must avoid the sin of judgmentalism. Remember what Jesus said. He told us that we should remove the speck, sorry, for anyone trying to remove a speck from his brother's eye while having a log protruding out of his own is just nonsense. The Lord commanded, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's. Judgmental people are often blind to their own sins but quickly point out the sins of others. Judgmentalism is hypocritical. People are often guilty of the same sins they condemn in others. Romans 2, 1-3. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in which you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But you, do you suppose this, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same things yourself, that you will escape? Judgmentalism is trivializing. It makes big deals out of inconsequential issues. It majors and minors. It often focuses on the temporary, not the eternal. It is concerned about the outside and not with the inside. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may also become clean. They were like cups that were clean on the outside, yet dirty on the inside. They were like tombs that outwardly were bright and beautiful, but inside were full of rotting corpses. It's easy to pick someone apart because they're outwardly different. Judgmentalism is mean. It's merciless. 1 Corinthians 13 and 7 says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Judgmentalism bears nothing without complaining, believes all things evil, hopes for the worst, and endures nothing. The judgmental person presumes the worst in everyone. He stroke she judges the book by the cover. He stroke she reads malice and evil into innocent actions or words and gives no one the benefit of the doubt. Let's return to our passage that we just read. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For the men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from brer bushes. Jesus giving a horticultural tip for gardeners. 
The Lord's words here are clear and he uses metaphor to explain that no good tree will produce bad fruit and no bad tree will produce good fruit. The contrast here is not between healthy trees and rotting, decaying trees, but rather between two trees that look like good, healthy trees, one bearing fruit and the other not. The good tree will not produce bad fruit. The bad tree will not produce good fruit. Taking the illustration forward in verse 44, for each tree is known by its own fruit. We appreciate a tree for the quality of the fruit it produces. And um, apparently the Greek in the text for tree can be applied to all types of, of tree, whether they were bearing figs or grapes. No one goes out to gather figs from a thorn bush. Similarly, no one goes out to pick sweet grapes from thorns. Why not? Why not do this? It's because we have learned to judge every tree and bush and vine by its fruits. Thorn bushes don't grow sweet, edible fruit. Then Jesus moves on in verse 45 to human instruction. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart will bring forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. The quality of the fruit depends upon the quality of the tree. A good man will spill forth what is good, and an evil man will spill forth what is evil in his life. The fruit of a person's life is the overflow of their heart. The fruit in our lives indicates the conditions of our hearts. How do we apply this illustration then to instruction? The word treasure could mean a a treasure chest, a word in which we store all our treasures. It's where we put the things that are important to us. Jesus says that a man may have good treasure or evil treasure. We may store our, in our inner being what is good or what is bad. And we will bring forth whatever treasure then is in our treasure chest. So where do we go with all this talk of judging and judgmentalism? Don't get me wrong this morning. I am saying that we do have to make conscious choices. We do have to seek out things that are right and things that are wrong. But we must avoid being judgmental. So how do we go about it? We let go of labels. At the cross, we have seen that there is space for all. No one is left behind. Labels are let go when the blood flows from the cross. We must then judge humbly. We must be aware of our own faults and our own fallenness. We must never forget the power of our own flesh and the things that we give ourselves over to. We must judge prayerfully. Before we can make a judgment about others, we must engage in diligent prayer. We must confess our own unworthiness and cling to the cross. We must wash ourselves with the word of God. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We must pray for ourselves and for those we judge. We must judge biblically. We don't judge according to our own standards, what we think is right, 
groups of people that we don't get on with or agree with. Rather, we must, must, must continue to consult the Word of God, seek out what He is saying, move with Him, not hindering His work by our own attitudes. But we must judge lovingly. One of the major differences between faithful judging and prideful judgment is love. You can judge according to the Bible, but still do it from a hateful, arrogant spirit. Judging appropriately seeks the best for yourself and for others. It's an act of love, trying to help each other figure out this thing called life that just seems to whirl on day after day. And we must judge mercifully. The heart of Jesus' ministry was mercy. Twice quoted in Hosea 6.6, which we looked at during the winter, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is the theme of all of the texts that we have read this morning. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Judgment should never be harsh or overly critical. We must examine our hearts. We've all been on the receiving end of judgment at one time or another. We know the scars that it has left in our lives, the pain, the lingering sense of inadequacy, maybe feelings of being not good enough. Look around churches around our world this morning where people are living of fear because they think they're just not good enough to come in through the door. We need a church that responds to the world around us. We need a church that's welcoming and embracing and says, come on in, I'm as messed up as you, but I've found a man called Jesus who's turned things around for me. Let me introduce you to him. Rather than placards and screaming and shouting, love from the center of who you are. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your word we continually find challenge. Sometimes words leap off the page and challenge us to our very core. Sometimes we don't know what to do with them or how to respond. Yet, we want to grow to be more like you. We want to grow in love of you and we want to be able to show that love to others. Father, would you take our brokenness this morning Would you take our failings? Would you take the times when we have messed it up and turn it round for good? Would you help us in situations we may get into at work or at home to know the right thing to say rather than maybe just jumping in with what comes quick to the mind? Father, we pray for forgiveness for times we have labelled people. When we have labelled whole groups of people just on how we see one person. Father, forgive us. We thank you that you are a forgiving God and that we can mess up. But out of that messed upness, help us bring newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.